0: my favorite shows when i was a young man when a, a teenager starred richard nimoy from star trek but this particular tv show was called in search of and i love watching that show and it, you know it was one of those It was kind of a mix between unsolved mysteries and, and some of these other you know figured out types of shows but every week he would explore a different phenomena or a different mystery and they were in search of The truth, or in search of understanding that mystery. And it's interesting to me, as we live in this world, our human minds want to know, we want to understand strange things. And so Job, as we continue our study of Job, is seeking to understand what's happening to him. He's seeking to understand why he is suffering, why he is enduring the trials that he has been facing. And you and I are introduced to the reason for his suffering. When we look in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, we know that Satan has come to God and said, the only reason Job follows you and is faithful to you is because you've blessed him with all this wealth. You've blessed him with good health. But, but, but God, you allow me to take away the blessings in his life. And he no longer will follow you, God. We have that insight as we study the book of Job. But Job, as he lived it, had no idea why he was suffering. Job had no idea why he was facing the trials that he was facing. And in the mindset of the day, as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, the mindset of the day was the idea of the doctrine of retribution, which said that you only suffer... For bad things in your life. That only the wicked suffer. And the opposite was also true. That God blessed the righteous. And that if you are someone who tries to follow God, He's going to take care of you, and you're never going to have a worry in your life. And so that was Job's thinking. That was the thinking of his friends. And, and as he looked at his life, he realized, Look, I haven't done anything to suffer At least not to the extent that I am suffering. And so he's in a quest. He's in search of why he is suffering. Is God just acting with Job and acting with wisdom in Job's suffering? And as we come to Job chapter 28, we come to a section of text that many believe or many scholars suggest is an interlude that the narrator of Job is introducing between the cycles of conversation that we have noticed Job having with his friends and Job's final quest for a search or for an understanding of why he's suffering. Remember as we look at Job chapter 28 this morning, some of the things that Job has already said in his search for understanding why he's suffering. We want this morning to be able to look at what Job says here, what the narrator says in chapter 28, and see how Job responds in his search of reason for his suffering. We want to digest the argument that the narrator presents in Job chapter 28, and we want to conclude by considering the fear of God in our lives. So let's begin by summarizing how Job is seeking to understand the reason for his suffering. From chapter 4 to chapter 27, Job is having a conversation with his friends, and we've spent some time in detail looking at that conversation. But you remember that as we saw last week in chapter 27, Job holds on to his integrity. His friends have basically been telling him, Job, you only suffer uh, because of sin in your life. And, and everybody knows that, Job. And it got so bad that, as we saw last week, his good friend Eliphaz has made things up. Job, you must be suffering because you oppressed the orphans and the widows. Job, you must be suffering because there must have been a time that you, as a wealthy man, have taken advantage. And in the language of Eliphaz, stripped men naked. Job, you must be suffering because you've had an opportunity to help people that that are hungry, and you and your greed have refused to help them. Eliphaz is making things up because in his mind you only suffer because bad things are happening. So Job must have been much more of a horrible man than Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar once believed. And so they made things up. There has to be a reason this is happening to you, Job. And in Job chapter 27, Job begins to articulate why that's not the case. Even though he believes, generally speaking, in this doctrine of retribution. And as we look forward in the book of Job, we're going to see that Job seeks to understand, and he is going to articulate his case. And and so far we've seen in the book of Job that Job wishes he could have a trial, that he could have his day in court with God, if you will, to lay out his case as to why he's a righteous man, and therefore he's suffering unjustly. So in chapter 29, as we sneak peek for a second on what Job's going to argue, Job is, is saying, Oh, I wish that my days were like they used to be. Look at chapter 29, verses 2 and 3. Oh, that I were, as in months gone by, as in the days when God watched over me, when His lamp shone over my head, and, and by His light I walked through darkness, as I was in the prime of my days, when the friendship of God was over my tent. He's longing to go back to those days when he felt like God took care of him. But now he feels like God no longer does. He says, I once was considered a wise man, but now I've become a joke. Look at chapter 30, verse 1. But now those younger than I mock me, whose fathers I disdain to put with the dogs of my flock. He spins chapter 30 talking about what used to be and how he wished he could go back to those days. And then as we move into chapter 31, that's where Job really begins to articulate his case and proclaim his innocence, and to articulate that he's suffering unjustly. Notice how he summarizes in verses 35 and 37, Job chapter 31. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Behold, here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me and the indictment which my adversary has written. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it to myself like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. Job is saying in chapter 31, here is my defense. God, you answer me. If you only suffer because of sin in your life, God, you tell me what those sins are. Because I'm innocent and I shouldn't be suffering this way. And so Job says, I wish I could drag God into court so I could find out why I am suffering the way I'm suffering. And so this sets up for us the final discussion that Job has in his search for understanding. And breaking up Job's conversation with his friends and the confrontation he's about to have with God is Job chapter 28. Which is a prelude to our understanding from the book of Job. And that is the idea of wisdom. How can you find wisdom? How can you understand wisdom? So notice what the narrator of Job says in Job chapter 28. He uses the analogy of mining. Notice how he digs out this wisdom. Job chapter 28. Read with me, if you will, verses 1 through 11. Surely there is a mine for for silver and a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust. Copper is smelted from rock. Man puts an end to darkness and to the farthest limits he searches out. The rock in gloom... In deep shadow, he sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro, f- far from men. The earth from it comes food, and underneath it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are the source of sapphires, and its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. Nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains as at the base. He hews out channels through the rocks. His eyes sees anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing. And what is hidden he brings out to the light. As we begin looking at this passage in, in chapter 28... The, Hebrew, or the, Arthur, the narrator of Job begins to give us an insight into ancient mining techniques. Now, archaeologists have discovered, especially in Egypt, some of these techniques that Job mentions here. Well, we know of modern mining techniques. We know of coal miners. We know of those who dig for diamonds in Africa. And, and we understand that kind of mining, but we can't imagine mining solid rock in antiquity? What tools did they have? What mechanics could they have used? But what's interesting as we look at the book of Job here is that Job gives us an insight and he uses this as an analogy. He talks about the fact, or highlights the fact in verses 1 through 3, that men will go to great lengths to find gems and precious metals. In the ancient Middle East, one of the few materials that they could mine was copper. Now in Greece and, and in some other places in the Mediterranean world, they also had resources of silver and gold. But for the most part, when you look at Israel and the, those surrounding communities, they had copper. And that's what they would search for. And yet they had technology. The Egyptians had two main... Seller really wants to find wisdom this morning. She's fine. The Egyptians had two common mining techniques that archaeologists have discovered. One of those is that they would dig a shaft down into the ground and then they would have their miners swing back and forth. And they would dig down perhaps as far as 100 feet under the earth. And they would swing back and forth until they were able to carve in channels. In fact, the word that's being translated channels here is also the word that was often used to refer to the Nile or to the tributaries of the Nile. And they would dig sideways in. Once they got down, they would start digging into the side of of the area that they were mining. So that if you could take a knife and cut into the ground, it would look like a honeycomb. And they would dig, if you were wood, channels. And so Job is saying, or the narrator of Job rather, is saying that they are damming up or cutting into the, to the rivers of rock and, and pulling that back out in search of co- copper, in search of, in the case of Egypt, perhaps gold or, or silver. A second method that archaeologists have discovered that they used is that they would dig down into the ground and they would build platforms into the rock and then they would build fires on those platforms and heat up the rock, and then they would pour water over the rock, causing the rock to break. And then they would pull that out. And so their narrator of Job says that they overturn the rock. Well, in chapter 9 and verse 15, Job, the narrator of Job uses the same language to talk about how God overturns the mountains. You see, man on earth is almost godlike. ...compared to the rest of creation. We have intellect, we have intelligence. And the narrator of Job is using this analogy to say... ...that when it comes to mining, human beings have great wisdom and intellect. The birds of the sky, they fly over the ground all the time. But they don't know that under the ground are precious metals. And even if they did know there were precious metals in the ground... ...they wouldn't know what to do with them. The lion and all his great greatness and all his might... Walks over that earth. He doesn't know that down inside the ground is copper and silver and gold and precious things. And even if he did, he wouldn't know what to do with them. And the narrator of Job is going to use that analogy to say that is our relationship to God. That God, in His wisdom and intellect, He knows where to find wisdom and what wisdom is. And how to retrieve it. But we humans lack that ability. And what to do with it. Notice what he says as we continue. In chapter 28. Verses 12 through 22. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value. Just like the lion, the falcon, and the eagle don't know the value of copper, gold, and silver. So we don't know the value of wisdom. He goes on, second half of verse 13, Nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued as in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, Nor can it be valued. I lost my place. Thank you. He lies down. I'm in the wrong chapter. That's what my problem is. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? That it is hidden from the eyes of all the living. And concealed from the birds of the sky, Abaddon and Death say, "With our ears, we have heard of it, or have heard a report of it." And so the narrator of Job is telling us that we're kind of like, we're kind of like those wild beasts of the earth in comparison to God. The wild beasts of the earth don't have any inkling to the value of precious metals and gold. And we really can't appreciate the value of wisdom. We don't know how to find it. And how to grasp it. And how to understand it. And how to use it. It's hidden from our sight. Just like those precious metals are hidden from the sight of animals. And yet, it is there. But God knows. And God knows where to find it. And God knows how to use it. Now think about how this relates to Job. Job is seeking to understand. Mankind in our inability to obtain wisdom and understanding. We're like Job and his friends. Something happens to us and we want to understand the reason for it. And so we come up with rationale. We come up with thinking. We come up with reasons for it. And Job's friends are a great demonstration of this because they are so far off in what they're saying is the reason for Job's suffering. And even Job, as a blameless man, as a righteous man, who has perhaps a closer relationship with God than anyone else in his time In our time, doesn't even understand even he in all his great wisdom and relationship with God and righteousness, even God describes describes him as being a blameless and righteous man. That very man, even he clings to this faulty idea that you only suffer because of wrong in your life and that you are only rewarded by being righteous with God or being right with God. And, And so that idea doesn't jive with what's happening to Job. And Job knows that. And he's struggling. God, how can you be just? You see, if we say that you only suffer because of sin, and you're only rewarded because you are right with God, then what does that say about God? If He's making Job suffer, it makes God out to be unjust. But you see, that wisdom and that line of thinking was not accurate. And so the narrator of Job introduces this interlude to prompt our thinking to realize that God's wisdom and understanding is greater than our own. God knows what's going on with Job. He knows why Job is suffering. Because Satan wants to test Job's integrity. God has had confidence in Job from the very beginning because God has told Satan in chapters 1 and chapters 2, you can do what you want with Job, he's not going to break. Wouldn't that make you feel good to have God say about you, I know this one's not going to break. Do you want to go through the trials that Job has gone through to, for God to prove his point? I don't think I do. But where is wisdom? Where is understanding? And so the narrator of Job uses this language, this analogy to point out to us that even though we might strive, we can't even begin to grasp the idea of God's wisdom. And then notice how the narrator of Job concludes this section, verse 23. God understands its way. He knows its place, for He looks to the ends of the earth, and He sees everything under the heavens. When He imparted weight to the wind, and meted out the waters by measure, when He set a limit for the rain, and a course for the thunderbolt, then He saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And to man He said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, to depart from evil is understanding. A similar concept to what we see at the end of Ecclesiastes is the idea that wisdom begins with the fear or the respect, the reverence. And yes, there is a certain element of fear involved with the fear of God. And to depart from evil is the beginning of understanding. But the narrator of Job says, God alone is able to search these things out and truly find the depths of wisdom and understanding. And so he summarizes by saying the fear of God and to turn from evil. God allows man to have some wisdom, to learn respect and reverence for God and to turn to God. And so Job is being taught to be content in his realization in realization that God is in control and that God truly is just and that God has integrity. And even though we don't have a capability to understand all that God does, God does have that understanding. Understanding is to turn from evil. A part of, of wisdom is to, is to shun evil. But how easy is it for us to get sucked up into it? Into following evil? Or to turning into the ways of the world? Job and his friends are wrestling with their understanding of the world. And they can't find a suitable answer because they've been going in a wrong direction the entire time. It is possible for man to suffer even though he may be without sin. Because something bigger is going on with Job. Satan is trying to break him, to bring him away from God. And God says, it's not going to happen, Satan, because I know who Job is. That's why Job is suffering. So consider the role of the fear of God in our lives. And by the way, even though we look at Job's demand that that God give an account in court, so to speak, for why he is suffering, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, sprinkled in with Job's demand for a date in court with God, he has made comments like, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that in heaven is my Advocate. I know that God will find me pure when He tries me. You see, even though he seeks his date in court with God, his trust and his faith and his reliance are still with God. He has never lost his integrity or his relationship with God. Even though he's seeking to demand from God an account for why he's suffering, he still has faith in God. He still clings to his relationship with God. He still has a fear of God. He still shuns evil. And so consider the role of the fear of God in our lives. We don't like the concept of the fear of God. We want to soften it at times to to mean merely respect. But it's more than that. Sometimes we quote passages like 1 John 4 and verse 18 where John tells us that perfect love casts out fear. And that's true. When we abide in God's love, we don't need to have fear. When it's a perfect love, a completed love, a finished love, there is no fear. But we're not saying that God's love is not good enough to throw out fear. But the context in 1 John is that the one who loves abides in God's love. The one who loves God abides in His love. That's different from saying that we don't have a fear of God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-good and all-love. Just like the song we just sang a minute ago, I stand in awe of God. We fear God because of His awesomeness, because of His love, because of His ability, because of His superiority. We may not need to fear as in the facing of judgment or of the executioner, but we still fear because of his awesomeness. Secondly, we see in this story of Job concepts of a relationship with God and the heroes of faith that didn't understand and yet they still relied on God. As we think about our study in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, we saw that great crowd of witnesses. All of those individuals like Abraham who left his family in Haran to go to a land that he'd never been to simply because God said, Abraham, I want you to go. I'm going to give you this land you've never been to, Abraham. But you're never going to get to live in it or you're never going to get to own it to the extent that your descendants are going to. And yet he went. And Isaac served God and Jacob served God all waiting for that day in which God will fulfill his promise to Abraham I'm going to give you they didn't understand some of the things that we follow God we don't understand can you imagine what would have happened with Rahab the harlot When the two spies told her, just hang a red thread outside the window. What if she just said, well, you know what, that doesn't really make sense to me. Why why, why tie a red thread outside the window? That's goofy. I'm not going to do that. You see, we follow God because we know that He understands. He has a plan. And so we follow it. What would Noah have done at the flood had he had said, you know what, I I really don't understand what God's doing here. I don't really need to build an ark. After all, what is rain? But you see, even though he didn't understand, he obeyed and he followed God. And sometimes there are things that happen in our life that maybe we don't understand, and Satan is using those moments to pull us away from God. And so we need to follow God. When we face suffering, is it wrong for us to seek an understanding for why we suffer? No. Job is never scolded for seeking to understand. And as we'll see in later chapters, Job is confronted by God because of the way in which he's demanding an answer, applying that God has somehow unjustly caused him to suffer. When the answer comes from God, who darkens counsel? Chapter 40. Chapter 42. He's not saying who's asking rather who's demanding this day in court in this lawsuit. God's real answer to Job in those final chapters is do you have standing to bring suit against me? In all of this Job still does not sin by cursing God or losing his integrity. He's not chastised by God for doing that. And if our suffering if suffering, it is good, During our suffering, it is good to seek God and to ask for His help to understand and to seek answers. But we must always remember to fear God because that's the beginning of wisdom and understanding. And if you're here this morning and you want to have a right relationship with God by being united with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, that's how you can shun evil and turn to God. And if that's what you need to do this morning, won't you come? Together we stand and sing.